0: Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another podcast for The Knockdown. I'm delighted to be joined by a man who needs no introduction, Gentle Ben. Thank you for doing this, sir. You're welcome, Alan. <laughs> My pleasure. So, how has the meaning of Masters Week changed for you now that you're no longer between the ropes?
1: I must say, uh, you know, I have no timetable. You know, basically, I do two things this week. You know, i play in the part three, but... Uh, well, I'll, you, you, you can't believe how nervous that I get in, in at the Champions Dinner because I have to start it off and make a few announcements. And um, I, 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 I tell them, I said, guys, I get nervous every year about this because I'm looking down not only at my friends but the people I look up to. And I'm looking at the, the history of golf really through – uh, through the lens of somebody who's been here a long time, but you know, I just look up to them, and I I, I keep telling them how lucky we are in that in that room to be there. Um, and really, we have all every there's a story with each each guy, and always the younger ones want to know through the older ones what predicaments they were in and who was chasing them. What the weather was like, what clubs they were hitting, it's all kind of fascinating, You're trying to unlock to play this golf course. But there's moments where you just have to you have to gut up and hit a shot, and you know it means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but um we've all faced those moments, and somehow we got through them, you know, some a lot easier than others when I specifically mentioned, you know, how nice would it be to be Tiger and have 12 shots or Raymond Floyd uh, in 1976 won by eight shots in margin of victories. That usually doesn't happen around here. But it's it's such a great night of togetherness, and it's really fun. And, and uh, Patrick Reed was great. Uh, you know, he now knows that you know he can wear the screen coat the rest of his life, and that that's just it. These guys are playing for it's so meaningful to win here,
0: and they, they we all have a special pride about it. A guy like Reed, who you probably did not spend a lot of time with previously, what did you learn about him, and just as as a man and as a as a figure oh, in the game?
1: He plays so much with conviction. He did. He said, pretty pretty neat because all of us started the tour with, you know, you, you you want to do so well so badly but the dinner that he picked, he picked a big steak, big steak <laughs> and Tom Watson said you know, I didn't see anybody finish their steak it was a huge ribeye but he had came wine and he had told his wife that whenever he had a really good tournament or, or a win that he would treat he and his wife to a nice steak and a bottle of wine and uh otherwise a lot- a lot of us too, if we missed the cut, we'd eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and he's <laughs> and that's what he said he said, so I thought it'd be nice to treat the way, the way I won the masters last year and it'd be nice to have a nice Camus bottle of wine so yeah, I mean all of us i mean you face uh you know the the game gets gets to us all and you know when you miss a cut you you feel terrible and uh but that's the reality of playing golf, professional golf.
0: I mean, I think there have been more presidents of the United States than there have been master's champions. And so that is is <laughs> quite an exclusive gathering, as we all know. And just walk us through the evening a little bit. It starts with, with a cocktail, and you guys are out on the veranda. and, and it, Just kind of give the listener an idea of the feeling of the night.
1: It, it, it does. It, it starts, you know, relatively 630, and uh, we all get together for a drink. And nowadays there's a lot of signing of flags and, you know, we have a lot of auctions that people that champions want to get back to their, their hometown and, and, and do something for charity work. And it's, it's a lot of it. That's a lot of the cocktail hour is that, uh, but then I did tell a story about at tiger when, uh, you know, all of us are lockered with someone else mm-hmm. and tigers locker maidens, Jackie Burke, who's 96 years of age. Still going strong. And I just talked to him this morning and told him how much we missed him and wanted a bit. But I'll never forget. One of his last times, he was sitting down and Tiger came in a little bit late uh, to get his stuff out of his locker and get ready. And Jackie just said, hey, Tiger, don't forget your old pal. How, how about some gloves and balls? <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just stuff like that. And uh, Tiger laughed at that. But, uh, no, I did, I did talk to him this morning. Told him how much we missed Jackie. But he's doing great, 96. But, um, you know, so you're so, all, so- I'm, I'm, I'm in my locker
0: with Jimmy Demerit. That's neat.
1: Who was a great friend. He was a great friend of my dad's. He was a three-time champion here.
0: I mean, that, yeah, that, that link to the past, and, and you're, you're now a big part <laughs> of it. So, so okay, you're signing flags, and uh, did, does anyone protest? Do you, you have to browbeat any of the champs to pull out their Sharpie? Well, one one of the stories
1: is, is that, and invariably, when you get a gathering like that, you, people want to hear Hogan stories. I mean, Ben Hogan was... <laughs> it's such a fascinating man, and he was hard. And Gary Player told a story about signing stuff during the dinner. And apparently, he was one of the, you know, it started in 1952. And when I guess Gary Player won in '61, and Mr. Hogan was there, and somebody had passed a book around to sign, and Mr. Hogan got mad. He got mad and he slammed the book down. And he said, this is supposed to be a dinner. We're supposed to just be together. And he's, he got very upset, apparently. <laughs> he said, Gary told that story. But uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Jack uh, and Gary, you know, are – we look up to them so much, you know, as we did with Arnold. It had so much to do with the tournament. We, well, we always like to hear some comments from them. But you go around the room and uh you know people make comments. Bob Goldmead's ninety years old, and uh, he made uh reference to Mr. Hogan as well uh but it is a it's our night and and it's my job basically is to get it started and make a few announcements. Uh, you know, like Jackie and Bob Goldby and what the tradition means, and I always say something about Bob Jones because that's the reason why we're here. and Dr. McKenzie, what they thought of, and what I think the tournament, uh, its personality to me, every time I come out here, I think of Bobby Jones because it says so much about him. Uh, he did things with restraint. He had so he had a, an educated taste uh, in everything that he did, mm-hmm. and uh, I always thought, and I always say that the star of this place is the course, and uh, how they put it together. And one of our my old friends, Charlie Price, who uh, I really enjoyed Nick. listening to him, he was great. He 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 said a really interesting thing about this place. He said they knew what to leave out rather than put in. And I think that was uh, about the architecture of the course, but they knew they didn't had to add have to add much. They let the land speak for itself, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and but the way that the the architecture of the buildings, you know, it's very modest, you know, and it and it's, it's graceful. Uh, has a tint of Southern tradition in it, and. But it says so much about Jones's personality.
0: Yeah. Well, everyone knows that you're a very accomplished course architect in your own right. So I have to ask you, what do you think of the the evolution of Augusta National into a longer, tighter, you know, more penal test with more trees and a little bit of rough?
1: I, I tell you what. In in the days when Hootie Johnson was chairman, he made some big, big changes to the distance. And for a little while, I I brooked a little bit about about it, but. You come to the realization these that they had to do this, and they've done it in a spectacular way. And they've tried to stay current, and it shows you what the game is today. It's a modern game. Uh, you have tremendous athletes playing the game now, yeah. and you have equipment that, that suits them, no question. It's, it's speed, golf ball, and the components of the club uh, are attaining distances that we never really thought of yeah. back, back when we played so yeah I'm from a completely different era but and I can remember playing the course for 30 years or so in a way that's different now but it, the club has stayed on top of, of everything mm-hmm. and they've done a remarkable job and there's more changes uh, yeah. in, in the mix
0: what, what do you see coming?
1: Well, they're going to lengthen the thirteenth hole. They they do. They acquired the property from Augusta Country Club. Um, they they're they're, you know, the the fifth hole is is amazing, uh, and it, it is going to play much longer than what it did. for two reasons, yeah, the tee is way back. But a lot of times you'll play that hole in a southerly breeze, and it makes it play even longer than the yardage. It's 500 yards basically yeah. now yeah. to a really difficult green. One of my favorite greens. Me too. It is just, I love that green. They made a little change on the left side of the green, which is still pretty small for the shot that you have in there. Yeah. Very small changes on number 18. They've extended the perimeter out on both sides on the top. Uh, so, no, I, I think they're, they're good for, for today's play. For today's play,
0: that was one of the pleasures of watching the the women's amateurs. Some of the shot values were restored. You know they're hitting lumber into 13 and 15, and that was that made it. It's a lot more tension when when you have a, a long club than an eight iron or a nine iron, and and that's what made it so exciting. Well,
1: that whole proceeding I thought was just brought off beautifully. You had two fantastic players, uh, but the way that they played, and not not just the two you know, top finishers. But all the girls, they played beautifully. And I know that they enjoyed it. It was set up beautifully for them and sort of calibrated in the way that they hit it, too. I mean, they are they can hit it yeah. really well. I don't see those two shots on 13 and 15 were just stupendous.
0: No, all, all timers.
1: But, man, hey, it, was, it was great to watch. It was great for women's golf, and it was great for the club the club keeps doing stuff like this you go you know you really th- i asked the chairman i said how long ago did you all think about this for for the women's so and he said well it was actually only about a year and a half ago i thought it might have been 5 years because they they usually pick out a project and they dissect it for all this time right. and then they uh, bring it out but well. I mean, it's just it's, typical the way they do things. It's not a here. democracy
0: around here, you know. It's an autocracy. <laughs> so when someone has an idea, it gets done. I mean, so that's a good thing. Well, all right, so let's go back to the, the, the dinner. You, that was the Byron Nelson role, right? He was sort of the master of ceremonies. And how did it get handed down to you?
1: One day, Adam, I was, I, I was sitting at home. Uh, Alan and I was, I was at my desk at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and Mr. Nelson picked, uh, called me. He said Ben, I need to talk to you about something. <clears throat> he said I've been coming over to Augusta since 1934. He said I can't physically come this this next year. And he said I want you to take over for the for the champion's dinner. And uh he he said you 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 love the history of the place. You love Augusta National, and said I, I think you're the man to do it. And I I dropped the phone. I dropped the phone. He said, "What happened?" I said, "I dropped the phone, Mr. Nelson." And he said, "Just keep it light, keep it moving, and uh, make a few announcements." And uh, he said, "But I, I really want you to do this." And that's how that's how it happened. So.
0: It's cute that you still get nervous even after oh, all these years.
1: Oh my gosh, I, I do. I, you can't. I have angst for two days before then, <laughs> because I, I always try to inject a little history into it that some things they may or may not know. But I always come back to the reason. That's why we're all here, uh, because it does have such a fascinating history, <clears throat> and you know it was a. It was a amazing how it even got started and kept moving through the depression i mean you know there were nobody had any money at all and i tell you what if it wasn't for alfred severin born right over here to float the club for a while it, it would have failed
0: yeah uh and don't forget grantland rice i mean he helped he helped promote it like nobody's business I mean, we did he I did
1: mean- along with, with a, lot of the, a, a lot of the Eastern writers who were covering baseball, and they'd go down to Florida for spring training, come back through on the railroad, going back to New York. But, no, Grantland Rice, you're, you're right, had such an influence on not only his brethren in, in the press, but also, uh, you know, people knew who Grantland Rice was, and he happened to be a great friend of Bobby Jones yeah. as well. But um, influence yeah. And uh, at Clifford Roberts' doggedness to to get this place started and moving, and he suffered tremendously. I mean, his book, the story of Augusta National, is just spellbinding. I mean, he could you could just really hear him suffer through the whole thing, <laughs> yeah. and he really did. <laughs> yeah, he
0: he was a, a unique character, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. and you know, Billy Payne, I think saw himself as the next clifford roberts he, he did a lot of empire building and i know he brought a certain presence to the champions dinner and now that he's left the room it, what i've detected from talking to some other people is that it's a little more relaxed a little more convival <laughs> can, can you speak to that
1: oh yeah well billy it, it was you know you you i guess you know if you have run the olympics in atlanta you know you have to have a certain presence he's in a he's a he's a authoritarian, but he he's very direct, but that's his style and he is so successful in doing it. But this building that you're sitting in, the press building here is, I, I know one of the things that he really wanted to to achieve and it took a lot of uh, exertion and influence for it to happen. And with a lot of things that he did, uh, his, the projects that were in his mind uh, security, all all sorts of things. Um, yeah, he obviously uh, attention to the golf course, but he did things other than the golf course, which are, which will remain uh, forever here. Uh, uh, Fred Ridley is as smooth as glass, and he is just he's been a friend of mine a long time. He's been a wonderful player yeah been a very successful player so
0: he's the answer to a trivia question who is the last u.s amateur winner who didn't turn pro <laughs> well fred ridley it was
1: him yeah you know, he won one in richmond at james river course but he he sees it the golf course through a real player's mind and eye and he's going to concentrate keep concentrating on the course as well as other things too but they're yeah, two different people. But i tell you, one of my dear friends was Mr. Stevens from Little Rock. That guy yeah. was,
0: he was a sweetheart, fascinating
1: right? guy. <laughs> God, he was such a fascinating guy. And then before him, Horde Harden was, uh, was a little bit stiff, let's say, but, you know, having been the president of USGA before. Uh, but, yeah, he – he yeah, he was different.
0: I heard a great story about Jack Stevens. He's um, – he would play cards here at Augusta National, and it was for very low stakes. It was like a penny a point in his game, and you know, this is a guy was worth however much. And there was, there was a guest who came down. It was kind of new money and loud, and he was talking a lot about money and finally Stevens was fed up he said sir you know what is your net worth and the guy said you know oh 37 million dollars he said I'll cut the cards for it and and, and the guy's that's like okay true. I think I'll be quiet now and that's true yeah that's
1: true he was a cat he was a he was a cat I have a great <clears throat> have a great uh uh affinity for the Stevens family because uh, my caddy, Carl Jackson, since 1976, it was suggested by Mr. Stevens that I try to get Carl Jackson hmm. because he caddied, he caddied for Mr. Stevens a lot and Mr. Roberts. Uh, Mr. Stevens and Mr. Roberts had a great relationship. and uh, But uh, 1976, all throughout my whole playing career here, I had Carl Jackson. Yeah, yeah who who uh, I couldn't have had anybody any better. But it came from Mr. Stevens. Um, and his son, Warren, uh, is. they live in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Carl is the caddy master at the course they built. It's called the Alotion Club. Yeah. So uh, I've got a lot of affection for them.
0: That's neat. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know that connection. Yeah. Um, so I, I heard a, a couple things about about the dinner involving you, and I want I want to go <laughs> go back to it. Um, that you, you told a really funny story about your first time meeting Jack oh Nicklaus. Yes, you got to relive that for the listeners.
1: Well, Jack, Jack loves hearing that all the time, and I've told it a lot, a lot. And I'm just like any kid, you know, idolizing Arnold Palmer and Jack and Gary Player, but so. I play in, in uh, the 1971 U.S. Open at Marion. And uh, I did not get to meet Jack in 1970 in my first U.S. Open at Hazeltine. <laughs> so the following year, it just so happened that Jack had an, his advertising and marketing man lived in Austin, Texas, named Bill Sansing. And uh, he was assistant sports information director at University of Texas. So. I said, is there any way I could meet Jack at Mary? And he said, Oh, absolutely. He's no problem. He's 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 fine. He'll he'll yeah, he'll be happy to meet you. So I get up there and I play my second practice round. I go into the locker room and I, I don't know what I was changing my shoes or something, but in walks Jack by himself, and I went, Good Lord, here's my chance. Here's my <laughs> chance. You're not surrounded by people. So the the <laughs> The locker room at Marion is a two-story affair. It's an old farmhouse. So he starts going upstairs towards the restroom. So I said, okay, here, fine. I've got him now. So I'm following following him up there, and he is standing at the 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 urinal. (laughs) And so I was just like a kid. I just went up there, and I just stuck my hand out, and I said, Hi, Mr. Nicholas, my name's Ben (laughs) Grinshaw. I'm from Austin, and he, he just kind of looked over me and said, I'll be with you in a minute. And it was, it was just. His hand was engaged. And
0: yes, he was.
1: And that's exactly how that happened. I was just so nervous about meeting him. <laughs> Just like anybody else would. <laughs>
0: well, you know, sometimes I've, I've been there. That when uh, Michael Campbell won the, the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, he finished a bit early, and he went into the locker room. I followed him in there. He made this tearful call home to his family. They were staying up in the middle of the night in London watching his, his wife yeah. and kids, and we we're waiting for Tiger to finish. And Tiger made a run, but he falls short, and um, so, but he, he comes into the locker room. And he, to kind of just cool off before the, the ceremony because he's the runner up. He has to be there. So Campbell's sitting at this little couch, tiger walks in and goes into the bathroom and Campbell follows him in there. I was like, Oh, this could be gold. And there's three urinals. And of course they leave the middle one open like we all do. So I'm like, whatever. So I just, I just went into the middle and just to hang out. I, I didn't even do anything. I just faked it. I'm just standing there. And then, so we all go over to wash our hands and, um, They're just ignoring each other, and I'm I'm really (laughs) lathering up my the soap like I'm washing my hands for about 45 seconds, and finally, you know, Campbell looks over at Tiger and says, "Man, uh, I don't know how you do this every time." And uh, and Tiger had a little wisecrack. It was just a cute little stolen moment, but you know, it it required a little a little acting on my part.
1: That was well, (laughs) and it went my story too. Well. You don't choreograph those, but when you, yeah. it's amazing how it happens. Yeah, no, you got to take those moments when they
0: come. Um, now and then, at the, at the dinner a couple nights ago, then Jack had a surprise for you. Can can you tell me about that? Yeah,
1: I, you know, I I, I I I couldn't believe it. There was first of all, there was a little display in the corner of the of the clubhouse that I did not know uh, was there, and Jim James the. Uh, Manager said, "Ben, there's something in the corner. I want you to see." And it was a all of my scorecards and and a, a picture of Carl and I and my pitching wedge from the 1984 Masters. He said, yeah. "This is, you know, this is an anniversary of oh, the club. It's been here all season." I went, "God!" And it was a letter from my father, who had written Horde Harden uh, a wonderful letter, and it's, he, he was. So proud that you know his son had won this tournament that we think so much of, and tradition and this and that, and uh, signed by my dad, so i didn 't know that they had it so
0: they 've had it for thirty five years and they have
1: so Jack of all people, right about towards the end of the evening, he said ben he said i 've got something for you, and I want everybody to see it and he pulled out this letter it was in a frame of my dad and he started reading it. You know, of course I completely lost it <laughs> and uh, no, I, it was a real special moment from, from him. And, uh, I've fortunate enough to have carried on a nice relationship with Jack. He knows I've always idolized him and it was typical. He's things like that. Or, uh, I just didn't know they possessed that letter that my dad had written. So,
0: that was unbeknownst to me. That's, that's special.
1: So, <laughs> <pretty> so
0: amazing. <laughs> I've always wondered at at the dinner, where do you sit? Is it is it spontaneous? Are there are there name cards? How does that play out?
1: Well, it, it used to be, and before I took over as sort of to get the dinner started, we, everybody kind of falls into their own spots. It's amazing. Yeah. Every year they just kind of they go right right where they. Were for so many years, and, and that doesn't seem to change. I've, I've watched it, but uh, yeah. Now I sit, you know, next to the, the defending champion, and Fred Ridley sits on the other side, and I sit on the other side from him. So, but no, it's amazing. I, I look out, and they're all in the same spots that I've seen for you know ten years or so.
0: Where does Tiger sit?
1: He sits in the middle on the left, and uh, it, it's it's. It's, it's a nice position. He speaks, you know, everybody is, uh, Gary Player's on the very end. Uh, Jack is sort of close to Tiger. Uh, but Bubba Watson's on the other side of the table in the
0: middle. You don't, but, uh, you, you don't make Bubba sit out on the veranda by himself? <laughs> no.
1: No. <laughs> no. But it's amazing. They all kind of go, and yeah. they all gather in the same spot. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, it's a big table. It's a lot of guys. Is There There were 33.
1: Kit- I, and I, I, there was only there was Bob Goldby's the oldest one who, uh, other than Jackie Burt, but he's the only one who, who kept he's the oldest one who was present at the yeah. dinner.
0: And is are, is it frowned upon to get out of your seat and go mingle during the dinner, or is that oh, pretty no, common? No,
1: it's fine. It's it's meant to be. What I certainly see, my job is to get the thing started. And uh, welcome the chairman, and chairman makes remarks, and then then I'll make some remarks about this and that. Try not to keep, to keep, try to keep things moving. Then we eat, and then it comes back, and then I present this beautiful locket to the to the to the champion, and uh, welcome him and say, look, you know, Patrick, you're. We want to welcome you on behalf of all these guys here. We want to give you this locket that signifies you're a member of this club for the rest of your life. And so, give them the locket. It's pretty good. And and what what
0: did Patrick have to <laughs> he say? He was very
1: good. I mean, very self-effacing. He said, "Look, I'm you know I I can't tell you how much I respect everybody in this room. Uh, never dreamed I'd be in this position, but I'm very proud that I played well enough last year to." And and I told him too. I said you never cracked one time under immense pressure, and uh, you had a lot of people chasing you. But uh, he held up. He held up beautifully. But he's, you know, he did a, he did a very good job. It was good.
0: Is there is there any woofing? I mean, do you does anyone ever talk about you know the jacket I stole from you or the the uh, you know? No,
1: there really wasn't any of that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, but each each guy has its own story, and they. Were pursued by you know you're just pursued by so many things, and to to be a champion you you go through a lot you soul search your whole Sunday under unbelievably hard decisions that you've got to make. Uh, you you have to be brave. You can't. There's no way you can't win the tournament without taking chances you've got to take chances but sometimes the the actual timing of events uh sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because you know you everybody knows about the atmosphere that's out there the noise there's it's different than any other tournament by far you can tell who's doing what it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable of course, the scoreboards are very vivid, <laughs> so you know where you stand, and it's it's excruciating.
0: <laughs> you sound like Bobby Jones. I mean, well, it, it's it is. I mean, he I mean, suffered. When, he suffered. Oh,
1: well, yeah. You, you, you do. You you have moments where you just say, should I do this or not? And uh, believe me, there's no other better feeling than to bring something off. Uh, in a circumstance like that. But let me tell you, on the other side of that, we've all had spectacular crashes, too. You know, you say, God, I hit that ball so well. And it just, you know, if it landed two more feet, it would have been the... That's that's what this place does to you.
0: Yeah. And it gives you empathy for guys like Norman, Ells, Johnny Miller, you, you know, who should have won a green you jacket. You think but- about
1: people who should be in that room. Yeah. And you think about their stories, and you think about Ed Sneed and you think about Tom kite, and you, you just go, well um, you've got to have a good fortune there's no doubt about that, but you have to bring bring shots off at the right times, and you you just you have to be
0: thankful yeah. So I know the dinner used to conclude with Sam Sneed telling a raunchy joke. Are there, are there any that are suitable for, for the listeners? No, I
1: mean, believe me, through the years, there can be nothing as raunchy as Sam Snead's jokes. I mean, I must tell you that, you know, it is a table full of males. Yeah, But all of us would dive under the table every time that it, they were the worst jokes you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> and about that time he'd tell a couple of them and Byron Nelson would stand up and say, Well that's enough, Sam. And then he'd go I mean I mean they were awful.
0: <laughs> Anything you could care to share? No,
1: I mean you can't. There's no
0: way to <laughs> share share those. <laughs> so and uh do people drink at this dinner? I mean anyway. Oh, absolutely, sure. I mean the the guys who aren't in the tournament but do you it has has that has that changed over the years? Was there more alcohol consumed back in the day? Oh, I'm sure there was. Yeah. Uh, but you
1: know, they'll have an occasional glass of wine. Um, but yeah, there's there's you know, it's it's norms have changed through the years. But yeah, there's drinking, no question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the all time record for for uh, most drinks at a champions dinner? Could you hazard oh, a guess? Yeah, yeah, well,
1: I don't know. Uh, Gay Brewer could drink pretty well the fuzzy zeller can drink and uh, i have a few cocktails I, I have to do it before i speak i'm so damn nervous i've i
0: that's so, like a lot of it yeah well this is great i'm so happy you shared all this uh, i mean it's really one of the most exclusive gatherings on the planet you know it's,
1: yeah, it really is that's why i get so nervous but uh, it's a it's an honor it's a real
0: honor that's but, great. Uh, well, I wanted to
1: enjoyed just, this. It was I've so fun. Very much,
0: Ben Crenshaw, Thank you so much for your time and your insight. This was a great pleasure, and uh, I look forward to hearing more tales from the, the inner sanctum of the clubhouse in <laughs> the years to come. So, my so. pleasure. All right, it's thanks. Fun. For-